What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. Another Friday, another episode of Why Are We Bullish? Uh, killer panel tonight. Very excited to have uh, all these gentlemen with me. Uh, a couple first-timers on the show and a returning guest. Uh, and so it should be a great time. Of course, I hope you have all had a wonderful week. Uh, I've got my mid-afternoon, evening coffee going with my... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not into JPEGs, but I refuse to let them take the wizards from us. This, this relic of the past from our Bitcoin back in the day, I, I refuse to relinquish it. So it is mine. Cheers to, to those that also refuse to do the same. Anyways, we're going we're gonna to be diving into it. Of course, this is live. Anything can happen. So I defer to my friend Bill here. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll, no. we'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. And thing sucks. If you have not already, please do like, subscribe, share all those things. They help a ton. That little like button just below the screen. Give that a tap. Share this on whatever socials you're on. And of course, I'm on the warpath to get a hundred thousand subscribers. My goal is to do it by the end of 2024. If you can help me get there, then hit that subscribe button. It means a lot. Uh, and uh, with that, I am Ben with the BTC Sessions. This is your daily session. Bitcoin. Before we bring in our guests, let's take a look at where we are in the market right now. I am pulling up timechaincalendar.com and simultaneously I am pulling up the live chat to the right side of the screen. So from now on, as you guys begin to comment and throw in whatever comments you like, of course, it will be live for the world to see for better or worse. But I digress. Let's take a look at timechaincalendar.com. We're sitting at 42,161 US dollars per coin. A single US dollar will pick you up 2,372 sats. In terms of fees, little bump again today, and I saw it was kind of the past couple of uh, days it was peaking up pretty high at times, but 127 sats per byte for next uh, next block. Anytime fee, 24 sats per byte. Mempool is still purging anything south of around 12 sats per byte. And then in terms of Bitcoin mine, 19.57 million of them. That's 93.2% of the entire supply. Shout out to sponsors of the show, hodlhodl.com. If you're stacking sats and some of your priorities include peer-to-peer -peer trading, instant self-custody, and no KYC, this is a super easy place to do it. You can sign up with nothing more than an email address. Once you're in, choose a currency, payment method, and an amount, and you can start browsing offers immediately. They also have peer-to-peer -peer lending with no rehypothecation. You can check them out on both platforms. Links are down below. Now, when you do stack some sats, you're going to want to secure it with some of the best hardware on the market. I love cold card. I love CoinKite, all the stuff they're doing. Of course, my Mark IV is my go-to. I've got all their other goodies like tap signers, block clocks, sats cards, open dimes, all that great stuff. And I have pre-ordered the ever-living hell out of the cold card queue, uh, which I'm very excited to get my hands on. If you want to reserve that or pick up anything else I mentioned, head to CoinKite.com. You can use code BTC Sessions for a hefty discount at checkout. Uh, backups also are important. Cedor is one of, in my opinion, one of the most beautifully designed, but also uh, robust options on the market. Uh, this basically secures your seed phrase from the elements, fire, water, corrosion, all of that. 
Um, I love this setup here because they've got a disc and capsule design, which means you can, if you need to, swap out the seed without having to get rid of the entire system. You can just get new discs. You can also add additional information in there, like what is the wallet name, what are the derivation paths, all kinds of stuff you can throw in there as well. Uh, and yeah, it's pretty robust. It's a serious package. You can get uh, everything you need for one or two seeds, and you can always swap them out with additional parts later. Uh, so check them out, Cedar. All the links are down below based on your shipping information. Last couple here, shout out to Nunchuck for assisted multi-sig. I love their Honey Badger uh, program. This is an assisted multi-sig set up on your mobile device. You can use tap signers, cold cards, and tons of other hardware. Once it's set up, you have baked-in inheritance planning so that your sets, sats get to your next of kin if anything should happen to you. And the whole thing is KYC free. You don't need to give up private information to have it set up and working for you. So check them out, nunchuck.io, and I've done the tutorial as well. And then lastly, Start9, your sovereign computing solution. These guys have plug-and-play devices to host your digital life, including your whole Bitcoin stack and your private data. So things like Bitcoin Core, Lightning Nodes, Mempool.Space, Join Market, files, passwords, photos, Nostra relays, and clients, and even some AI stuff. Uh, I am running one. They've got devices that go from entry level all the way to what I'm running, which is the Start9 server pure. And you can check them out at Start9.com. So shout out to all of them. And uh, with that, enough of my rambling. Let's get everybody in here. So I want to welcome to the show uh, Scott and John, once I get them up here, and Seb, all three. There we go. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you for being here. This is a beard-heavy episode, I've noticed. <laughs> I feel like we've got a solid group in here. So uh, welcome. Uh, I think uh, quick intros are in order. So I'll toss it down the line for a quick who are you and what do you do? Um, let's go to Scott first. Can you give yourself an intro, man? Yeah, and um, thanks again for having me on today, Ben. It's uh, I'm excited to be here. I am the company uh, CEO of a company called Block Rewards. We are a Canadian software company building tools for employers that want to think about transitioning their compensation and reward strategies to a Bitcoin standard. So uh, that's my day job. I am also the host of my own podcast, which is goes by the same name, The Block Reward. Block Reward is uh, is new, but uh, Gaining steam. We're on all the major platforms, YouTube and Rumble. And uh, Seb has been on us already. We're looking forward to the other gentlemen on this pod joining us one day soon. Awesome. I love it. Well, welcome, man. And uh, and uh, we'll be seeing each other in person soon. We'll get into that momentarily. But uh, thanks for being on here, man. I appreciate it. Uh, let's drop down to uh, to John. Dude, good to have you. I, I regularly hear you on uh, on Spaces and chat with you on Spaces from time to time, but can you give yourself an intro for anybody unfamiliar? For sure. Great to be here, Ben. Thank you. Uh, as they say in the sports talk radio world, first time, long time. If you guys are familiar with that, first time participant, long time listener. Um, so great to be here. Uh, yeah, so part of the team at Swan, Swan Bitcoin, Bitcoin only financial services firm. I'm part of the Swan private team in particular. So that is our high net worth concierge offering uh, high touch service for our high net worth clients, bringing the whole platform of Swan to them and some perks that come along with Swan private, but really just trying to uh, orange pill the world. And I am very grateful that I get to do that as part of my job at Swan. And then quick background, um, I'm in New York. I did the Wall Street career for about 13 years. Um, got into gold and sound money back in like 08, 09, found Bitcoin many years later, and then joined Swan in early 2022. That's awesome, man. Well, I'm glad to have you and, uh, and, and, and see you 
uh, as opposed to just hear you for a change. So yeah, welcome, welcome. And, uh, and we'll jump finally down to Seb. Uh, second, second time on the show, I think now? Yeah, yeah, Isn't second it? time. And honestly, it's, Ben, it's such a pleasure. Like I think if anyone in the, in, anyone in the crowd has kind of not necessarily watched many of uh, Ben's videos, which I'm sure, I'm sure they've watched a ton of them, but if they haven't, you've got to check out his videos. By far and above, like the best uh, video, what do you call it, video channel when it comes to custody, when it comes to any of these kind of topics. So I, I truly value the content you create. You're well and above anyone else in the space. So I, I, I really wow. appreciate being on. Thanks, man. I, I, I again, I, I love having you, and uh, and uh, yeah, I'm glad to have you on the show. What, what if people are unfamiliar with you? Um, what, what do you have your hands in? For sure. So I co-founded a platform with Greg Foss, uh, Dasby, and a couple others, and we it's called Looking Glass Education. And our whole goal is to try and kind of distill down a lot of kind of the Bitcoin talk, the macroeconomic talk, the finance talk into kind of layman terms. And so we create a lot of free content that is available on our website, Looking Glass Education. We have courses, we have content for teachers, and then I also like to write. And so uh, Daz and myself co-authored a book called um, uh, Beers for Bitcoin. And that's kind of like a very distilled down version of kind of Bitcoin for the layman. And then I just finished writing a book, which just went live this week called The Hidden Cost of Money, which I'm pretty pumped and excited about. Yeah, man, it's it's making the rounds. It's uh, it's making waves for sure. Well, it's it's uh, it's good to have you back, man. And uh, and again, I'll I'll vouch for the Looking Glass Education. Um, it's such an excellent resource as well. And uh, and yeah, man, we can't we can't have. I don't think there's such thing as too many educators in the space. So um, yeah, thanks for doing what you do. Um, with that, we're going to dive into the meat of the show. So anybody watching that's unfamiliar, this is Why Are We Bullish? And the premise to the show is very simple. Each one of us comes with a reason why we are bullish, something that we're currently excited about. And so that can come in many forms. It might be a personal experience. It might be a new app or or device that we've tried. It might be an item of news. It could be a variety of different things. Whatever it is, it is the person's chance to rant on what they're excited about. So so number one, somebody's going to drop a reason why they're bullish, rant about all, all, all the little details about why they are particularly excited about this thing. Number two, we're then going to open it up to everybody to discuss. So comments, questions, rabbit holes, wherever we end up, all good. And then finally, number three, we're going to rotate to the next person until we've all had a turn. So reason, riff, rotate, simple, the three R's. So I'm going to uh, kick us off here. Um, and I feel I feel a little conflicted uh, using this as my reason for being bullish because I've I've kind of previously used it like not too long ago, but it's my show, so f fuck it. <laughs> um, and it's happening tomorrow, so I'm I'm doing it. I'll, I'll you know I'll I'll try not to beat a dead horse and uh, and and spend too too much time, but I am super excited because tomorrow is the first ever. Saturday market, the Saturday, previously the Saturday sat market, but uh, the Saturday market. And so this is uh, aggregating in my hometown of Calgary, uh, all of the merchants, well, you know, as many merchants as we could get there in, in the short notice um, that we gave uh, to come down all of the ones that are accepting Bitcoin. So we've got a ton of merchants in the wings ready. Uh, we've got about 30 of them. 30 plus, maybe 35, somewhere in that realm. Basically, a few weeks back, uh, I think it was 
it might have only been three weeks ago, four weeks ago, something like that. I put a call out and I said, all right, we, we, you know, everybody's all worried about, you know, the, the, the top down clamping down upon people's ability to use Bitcoin and, and, you know, things are getting more difficult and, and people don't want us using Bitcoin in certain ways. And I, and I, I kind of came to the conclusion that the only way that we really transcend that is if we form local communities where people understand the value of Bitcoin and also understand the value of exchanging goods and services for Bitcoin and what that kind of does to a society moving forward where, um, you know, it, 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 it changes societal dynamics in that if you have money that actually increases in value over time, even if it's just mildly deflationary, like years down the road, you're still a little bit more conscious of your spending habits. And so when you take that into account, you, you are more conscious of what you're actually purchasing. And so it holds merchants and, and people that are offering goods and services to a higher standard. Uh, and, and so I love the idea of finding people that, that are um, on the same, same wavelength and thus holding those people to a higher standard in terms of what they're producing. I think it makes us all better for it. Um, and it also, it just... I don't, I don't need everything I do kept on a, you know, kept in a database, right? I, I like the idea of knowing my local rancher or having an egg guy or having my barber accept a lightning payment. I love that idea. And I love that, that peer to peer creating relationships with people. And so this was kind of the impetus for the market. So basically what we're doing is we rented out a huge hall down in downtown Calgary. Um, and we just put the call out and there was a lot of response, um, that I didn't expect so quickly. Um, and, and so I've, my inbox was just full of people saying, Oh, can I, you know, can I come down? Can I be involved? And so we've got so many different things going on. Um, again, so we've got, we've got a, a whole bunch of different stuff. Just part of it is listed on this, by the way, if anybody's curious, you can go to Bitcoin brains com slash market. So Bitcoin Brains is Dave Bradley. He's the first Bitcoiner I ever met in real life. He also had the first brick and mortar store where you could buy Bitcoin on the planet. Uh, and he was also co-founder of Bull Bitcoin with uh, Francis Pouliot. And, uh, and he's done a whole bunch of different stuff, but uh, awesome guy. So he's helping me out with this. And, uh, and, and yeah, so we put together a bunch of stuff. I'm just going to quickly kind of let you guys know what kind of stuff we're, we have and what kind of people we have, have coming down to this market. Of course, we've got tons of artists, people selling apparel and hats and jackets and, and T-shirts and all kinds of stuff like that. We've got um, a, a couple and their kids that do like unique Inuit carvings. We've got a guy who does like solar panels and solar arrays. We've got plenty of people doing like baked goods and all that. We've got IT consulting. We've literally got a candy store that's like Bitcoin branded candy. Um, we've got plenty of different farmers bringing varieties of chicken, eggs, lamb, beef, jerky, all kinds of stuff. Um, we've got plumbing services, heating services. We've got Bitcoin miner heating services. Uh, we've got financial coaching. We've got audiovisual services. We've got gift cards for Bitcoin. We've got uh, 3D printed merch. We've got children's books, hotel rooms in Banff. So if you want to get out to Banff, there's now a hotel that is explicitly accepting Bitcoin for rooms and he's giving a discount 
in Bitcoin. I think it's either 10 or 20% if you pay in Bitcoin, which is wild, um, which is amazing. Uh, we also have, again, like personal trainers. We've got somebody who does e-bikes. We've got golf lessons, hypnosis, retro video games, just like hats, home, deck, home decor, all kinds of stuff. All of these people are just... And, and the important part to me was that it wasn't just a bunch of Bitcoiners selling Bitcoin stuff. It was like other stuff that you might need day to day. And, and I think we got that, which is, is what I wanted because I, the, the impetus for, for this also was a little bit to scratch my own inch. I've been living on Bitcoin for a while. I've been using various ser uh, services to kind of make that work, which I very much value. But I also think the more I can get local and, and create relationships with people, the better. Um, so we've got all that. And then we've also got, uh, so the Canadians in the room may be privy to uh, a, a popular Canadian, well, maybe even people outside of Canada. I think it actually had a bit of a reach. There's a, a, an ongoing show called Heartland. That's like, um, it's about a, a, you know, a, a small town like ranchers and everything like that. It's on season 17, I think. But anyways, uh, the, the, um, one of the lead actors from it for the first 15 seasons, uh, he's actually a Bitcoiner and a huge freedom advocate as well. And he actually previously hired me for one-on-ones um, before I, <laughs> I, I actually hadn't watched the show, but I finished a session with him and I came out into the living room where my wife and, and her parents were watching a show. And I looked up, I was like, I swear to God, that's the guy I just got off a session with. And they're like, no, it wasn't. No way. Um, but uh, anyways, this guy, Graham Wardle, awesome dude. Uh, he's going to be down there and he's going to be doing a live Q&A uh, with the two of us on stage uh, to his audience as well. Um, so it should be a lot of fun. And then, yeah, we've got some other stuff queued up. We've got some uh, short Bitcoin films that are playing around the room at certain times. We've got some live music, uh, live Q&As. Um, we're showing uh, Tomer Strolight's Bitcoin is joint generational wealth uh, at the lunchtime, along with some live music. Uh, we've got mobile wallet demos. We've also got some uh, some demos of how to do home heating with uh, Bitcoin miners. Um, and then we've just got like a general Q&A where anybody in the room can uh, ask their questions about Bitcoin. And we've also got a bit of a, a raffle slash uh, 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 I, scavenger hunt, I suppose, where you have to interact with the vendors. And if you get fun facts about, I can't remember if we're doing five or 10 vendors, uh, then you can get entered into the raffle and everybody has contributed different things that you can win. But there's like, you know, a, probably a couple thousand bucks worth of stuff that you can win just by being there and interacting with your local businesses. So this is what we've got planned. I'm, I'm very excited about it. It's the first one that we're doing, but I think that, um, I think it's something that we might be able to replicate, do again here, and and maybe even replicate in other cities. So we shall see. This is what I'm excited about, gentlemen. I'm curious your thoughts, comments, questions. I'll open it up. Dude, I've been looking for a market where I could get eggs, plumbing services, and hypnosis. <laughs> I've had to go to three different markets for those things, and it's such a hassle. Thank God there's one market with all of them now. <laughs> you can be hypnotized into paying for eggs with Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I, I will offer some more thoughts in addition to that. But um, man, so many cool things there. I total believer in the circular economy. You know, I, I don't think we need to make it a reality tomorrow for Bitcoin to be successful, but it is important. Um, 
and like not to get way too ahead of ourselves here, uh, the lights will go out on me if I don't That's move good. enough here. Um, uh, not to get way too far ahead, but we want Bitcoin to be a, a totally different financial system in addition to the existing financial system. We don't like we describe Bitcoin as gold 2.0. We don't want it to just become gold 2.0. Right. We, we don't want it to just be this store of value asset while everyone else is transacting for day to day payments with some other, you know, fiat token. So the, the circular economy is huge. Um, I've always felt myself that I'm willing to signal to a business, whether it's a bar in New York City. Um, shout out PubKey is, is a bar owned by four Bitcoiners in New York City. You could pay for everything using Bitcoin and Lightning. I've probably been there two dozen times by now. Um, and it's a great bar. I like it. But even if, if I were, you know, indifferent between that bar and somewhere else, I would go there because I want to signal to them, hey, I think it's awesome that you guys are Bitcoiners. Even if there was some product or service that were offered somewhere that, you know, if someone's charging a little bit more for their eggs, I would probably go to the Bitcoiner selling eggs and, and buy a little bit, um, pay a little bit more. I mean, the great thing is that a lot of these Bitcoiners end up, like you said, with the hotel, they end up giving a discount. So that, mm -hmm. that just makes it the easiest decision in the world. But I would even pay a little bit extra ju just mm -hmm. to get the circular economy going, just to signal to them, just to meet those people, because they're probably like minded people that you just get along with, would want to have a conversation with. Um, so, man, that's what comes to mind to start. But I wish I weren't so far away in New York City. But that sounds like a real treat for you guys in Calgary. Yeah, man. Should be a good time. Maybe, maybe we'll take it on the road. <laughs> yeah, who, who doesn't want a reason to come to Calgary in the winter, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah I, I get to make these jokes because I'm from Edmonton and I relocated to Kelowna, but I did come in for this event and I'm super stoked about it. I think it's so cool that, you know, unlike a, a conference event, this is actually an event to raise awareness around spending and exchanging Bitcoin, which is so cool. And uh, hopefully other cities will take notice and uh, try to create similar events. So uh, on that note, if your Kelowna is a destination place and we have a local uh, a Bitcoiner in our local meetup in Kelowna that runs in a, a bed and breakfast called Adela's and uh, they take Bitcoin as well. So if you're looking to go further than Banff and uh, come to the Okanagan, there is a spot for you here, too. That's awesome. You know what we should do is we should. We should um, see if we can string together various properties where you can pay in Bitcoin across Canada. And Bitcoin then road trip. Yeah. And we just do a big Bitcoin road trip all the way across the country in wherever we'll accept. And we'll just pop back and forth until we cross the entirety of Canada, which anybody that's unfamiliar with how long it takes to drive across Canada. I was in Toronto and I drove to Calgary. And just to get out of the province of Ontario, it was two days of driving. <laughs> and then I should have split the last part into two uh, subsequent days. Uh, but I just went, I went hard for like 15 or 16 hours on that last, that last leg. But it basically four days of driving just to get from Toronto to Calgary. It would have been another 12 hours to get to Vancouver on the coast. And Toronto is not even close to the furthest east you can get. That's like another couple of days, isn't it? <laughs> I think whenever I fly from, I was originally from the UK, and whenever I fly back to the UK, it's a nine-hour flight, and I live just north of Vancouver in Whistler. Yeah. And it is six hours of flying over Canada, and then it's like three hours across the ocean back to the UK. And that, that blows me away every single time, the size of it. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's but it would make for a very interesting Bitcoin road trip. So I, I think we should make that happen. <laughs> I think what's also just like so fascinating about this uh, this market is when I think about Bitcoin, you always get that question, which is Bitcoin is failing because people aren't using it as a medium of exchange. Why would you use it as a medium of exchange? And I think what people don't realize is that at the moment, given the tax system, we're not Bitcoin is not incentivized to use Bitcoin as a medium of exchange, given that it's a taxable event every single time you buy and sell or every single time you buy and sell Bitcoin. And so the what I think is just so fascinating about these markets is that you're seeing Bitcoiners swim against the tide purely because they value this money so far and above anything else. And they're trying to create community because they realize that ultimately to create a better world, we've got to spend better money. And I, I just think it really shows you how incredible of a community we have, given that they're willing to put aside kind of the other disadvantages of spending Bitcoin taxation and whatnot, because they're trying to build a community. They're trying to spread this money that can truly make a difference to this world. Yeah. And the, the unique, the funny thing about, if you think about it, if you, if you, if let's say you're living on a pure Bitcoin standard and you spend a bunch of Bitcoin and then they're like, oh, you have a taxable event. Um, and you owe taxes. The interesting part about that is you're you're paying taxes because the value of your money went up and you're paying a portion of the value of that your your money that went up. So that means that technically speaking, you're still in the black because your money went up instead of perpetually down forever. Um, and so like when people are like, well, you got you got to pay taxes on your your bitcoin if you're living on it yeah but the not that i love it but at the same time that means that i made a gain on the money that i'm living on and they asked and they basically said we need a portion of that gain that still means that i've made a gain <laughs> and if it's a loss then well i pay less taxes at the end because i claim the loss right it'll be fascinating to see the first developed country that takes off this kind of taxable event and turns it so it competes with basically just any other currency because yeah. we're suddenly going to you're removing that barrier you're removing all of that friction to use bitcoin as a daily currency i think that is going to be super interesting yeah and i also i am also curious in terms of what i mean at what point do do you treat it as is it obligatory to treat it as such when you know if we had countries that were like we've already got el salvador where it's legal tender but if you have a country at some point in the future where they were like this is this and i don't think this is coming anytime soon but they say this is the currency here like is aren't there aren't there stipulations in and around that where you can't basically like tax tax conversion of a currency if you're using it as a currency itself? I believe that if people are trading in foreign currency accounts, like from a brokerage perspective, I'm yeah, pretty like sure. Forex. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they would get hit with gains. Yeah. But yeah, I think, you know, if you're a international traveler and you exchange a bunch of money and let's say you're traveling for a long time and yeah. you go from dollars to euros, <laughs> And, you know, the exchange rates are going to fluctuate. You know, you converted it all at the beginning. It's not like you have to track your your gains on it when you use it later in the trip. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's true. Um, 
Also, I, I believe the, the Lummis, Cynthia Lummis, Kristen Gillibrand bill that was proposed, it's not, not a past bill by any means, but was proposed at some point in 2022. I believe that had somewhere around like a $200 level that said transactions uh, below this would just not be subject to, to yeah. capital gains whatsoever. I think that would be huge if something like that got passed. And then I will just say, uh, you know, hopefully the IRS isn't listening to me, but I, you know, I don't think they would even care about yeah. me making this statement. If you buy a dozen eggs, if you buy a $30 shirt, you know, do you, I don't think the IRS is going to say, Hey, you have a $3 gain on that thing that you bought. Um, no matter how many tens of thousands of IRS agents they're adding in the U S I, yeah. I don't think they're going to look at, at that level. Yeah. Like, you know, if you buy a, if you buy a $5 latte and they come for their 50 cents, then like how much money are they putting into the effort of that collection uh, for the reward is so there's to a degree, there's that, I mean, I say this and I'm sure SWAT is ready to swoop in through my window, but, <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think you're to a degree, like there's only so, so many resources they can throw at that. And you know, if, if, they're if they're trying to pick up nickels like i I don't i don't see why they would yeah if you're buying a car you know they'll probably go after that because tens of thousands of dollars but kind of tough for them to go after the local guy selling eggs yeah i think the other thing that i think is fascinating is when you start thinking about let's say they do remove some of these barriers especially the taxable event barrier all of a sudden and this i always found this really fascinating when i stumbled upon it we always hear about Gresham's law, which is that bad money drives out good. But the only environment that, that happens in is when you have legal tender. Mm-hmm. When you have someone saying you have to use this money, well, naturally, people are going to hoard the good money and spend the bad money because yeah. the, the retailer, wherever the merchant has to accept it. But the moment you remove those legal tender laws and you're actually now in a free market, the reverse is true. And you have that, I think it's called Thiers law. And that's where good money actually drives out bad. Because if you're a merchant, you're going to accept fiat you're never going to accept fear. You're going to accept Bitcoin. And so I think that when you remove these barriers, you remove these hurdles, all of a sudden competition naturally allows good money to start percolating through society. And I think naturally, if we did remove those barriers, that's the beginning of the end of fiat, I believe. Yeah. And it's funny we were talking about this earlier, but, um, uh, you know, the, the hotel owner who's giving a discount for Bitcoiners coming in the door because he, he, he wants the Bitcoin. He's, he's incentivizing people to, to, uh, to pay that way. And, and kind of, so I started using ZapRite recently. So, um, uh, John and, um, and Will Cole and, uh, and Preston, uh, sorry, not Preston, <laughs> Parker Lewis. Um, so there it's basically a, a, a nice landing page for, for payment links and everything. And you can link up your own Bitcoin wallets. But one of the cool things is they do have fiat options that you can integrate there too, alongside Bitcoin, but they give you the option to add a premium to any fiat payment that you get. And so I obviously it's a huge pain in the ass getting fiat for me. Like I don't, I, I don't get it. It goes to a third party. They're going to scrape away a bunch of it. And then it's going to take however long to get to my bank account, even worse because I'm in Canada and some of these payments are coming from the US. So I got to convert, which they'll scrape off even more. And so like for me, I want to disincentivize somebody paying me in fiat as much as possible. So I add a 10% premium or maybe in some case, I'm, I'm probably going to bump it up because I was doing the math of what, what I'm enduring by getting paid in fiat. And it's just, it's not as worth it to me. So 
I think, yeah, you're going to see however you decide to, to denominate it, but I think you're going to be seeing a lot of incentivizing on the part of merchants for people to pay them in the better money. And I think that's what drives it because at the end of the day, the person that's paying is going to have the option, but they're going to look at the incentives set up by the merchants that are actually selling the goods and services. And they're going to go, well, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll use this other money because it's, you know, it's, it, people are very, they look at the, the first, uh, first order effects of things and they just see this sticker price and they say, well, I'll pay this way. Cause it's, it's better. Um, so yeah, I think you'll see a bunch of that. That's, that's a great point Seb, that I had not really considered before you hear Gresham's law talked about a lot. And usually people are just like, oh yeah, everyone wants to spend the bad debased money and, and get rid of it. And people are just like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But then you think about it's a transaction. There's someone on the other side of that transaction. And if they have the opportunity to accept the money that's not being debased, of course they would rather have that. Um, so I think you, you make a great point about the legal tender laws that are actually driving those dynamics. And if you remove those, the merchant is going to say, you don't pay me in dirty fiat, pay me in the money that's not being debased. That's a great point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, uh, the proof of concept for that already happens today in countries where they accept US dollars and their own local money. And you see differential pricing in markets where they would rather have the dollars. So to me, this is like, it's probably actually the precursor, like the, just before hyper Bitcoinization is when you go into shops and you start to see prices side by side, and then it, it starts to be everywhere. And it goes from being weird to being like, okay, now we have the choice and then gradually and then not, right? Yeah. And I, I, I think this is how it starts. I think it starts with local tight knit groups of people. Cause I, I think, I think the, the tactic that was taken before was, um, maybe a little bit naive. Um, Bitcoiners just like circa 2014, 2015, it was like, let's get every big company to accept Bitcoin. But the companies weren't accepting it because they wanted it, because they recognized it as a better money. They were accepting it because they saw some hype. They thought it was a good marketing opportunity. And they were clearly immediately dumping for fiat afterwards, right? They were plugging into BitPay or whatever and getting the dollars. So for them... They didn't care. And then they, they, they saw it as, oh, we'll do this and we'll get new customers. But like the, the odds were that, especially at that point, there weren't that many people that were super stoked about paying with Bitcoin in the first place at that point. There was, it was very niche. Um, and so what you got is companies announcing this, oh, we're, we're accepting Bitcoin. They, they kind of weren't because they were just dumping it. And then at the end of the day, they gained basically no new customers. And then eventually you get the new headline of, oh, Microsoft stops accepting Bitcoin because why would they put in the effort to like keep everybody mm -hmm. informed on how to do things? Um, and so I think now you're in a situation where you've got a core group of people that already do things day to day. They already offer goods and services on their own for fiat mining and they like Bitcoin. And so it's only natural if you can round them up and, and just plant that seed and say, you know, you can accept Bitcoin for what you're doing. And there's a group of people in the city that will do that with you. Um, I think it, 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 it reinvigorates that, but in a better way where the person is accepting it for the quote unquote, right reasons, they actually value the money as opposed to, 
oh, this is going to be such a great marketing thing for me. Like that's, that's not the point. It's interesting. And I'm going to plug Scott here because he probably won't plug himself. But when uh, I met Scott a few months ago and Scott has been kind of telling me a lot more about people receiving Bitcoin as a form of payment for their income. And what's interesting is you start thinking about it and you realize when it comes to merchant adoption, a merchant has to have a POS system that accepts Bitcoin. There's a lot of infrastructure that goes in place to accept Bitcoin that suddenly creates a hurdle for many merchants to adopt Bitcoin to receive payments in Bitcoin. Whereas what's fascinating about receiving a portion of your paycheck in Bitcoin is it flips all this on its head. You don't need to inf uh, implement uh, much infrastructure, if any at all. You mm -hmm. just need to kind of reach out to a company like Scott. And all of a sudden you have these big corporations. If you've got employees demanding, hey, I want two, three, four, five percent of my income paid in Bitcoin, they no longer have to go through exchanges. And on top of that, if you're getting more and more employees uh, asking for Bitcoin, you're now orange pilling companies without them having to use any form of infrastructure, without them having to receive Bitcoin in terms of merchant services and whatnot. And so I think that another way to slowly orange pill the, the uh, corporate world is to approach it from the, hey, I want to be paid a portion of my wages in Bitcoin. And you reach out to someone like Scott at Block Awards. And I think this is another interesting approach that I think as a community, we haven't thought about too much. Because on top of that, the last point I'll make, and Scott kind of raised my kind of like hyperhouse of this, which is the fact that if we, let's say you have like Microsoft, one of the biggest lobbying companies in the world, if you start getting a large portion of employees saying, hey, I want to be paid in Bitcoin, and they have all of these lobbying dollars, and all of a sudden they're pro-Bitcoin, then we've got more and more players that are on our side that have a lot of power in politics. And so I think that this is another back route into politics and having support on our side to kind of push regulation in our favor. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think earning Bitcoin is another key sort of positive feedback loop for changing circular economy, because it also changes the reason for companies to want to accept Bitcoin, because if you have Bitcoin already, that makes it easy, even easier to pay your staff in it. Uh, you know, so, the, so the, these things sort of go hand in hand. And uh, I, I love that. I love using the term better money. It is better money. Our slogan at Block Rewards is earn better money. I think like this idea of like, well, if you have, if you were presented the opportunity or the choice to earn one of two kinds of money and one is better than the other, like your time's finite. Like why, why would you want to waste your time? And uh, with the money that, like you said at the start, Ben, and you're, you can earn money that's programmed to become less valuable over time, or you can spend your time trying to earn money that is designed to really reward your efforts. Yeah, 100%. And I think I, I'm, I'm going to try and put a, a bow on this topic, but I, I'm not I'm unsure if it's going to bleed into the the next topic or not, or if we're going to change gears. But either way, I'm, I just wanted to say to everybody that did uh, reach out, partake in this, fly across parts of the country to be here for it. Um, I, I want to say thank you, everybody that has uh, gotten the Saturday market to this point. And, uh, and I, I'll let everybody know if it was, uh, I'm sure it'll be a success. Um, but, uh, I'll let everybody knows, uh, know how it goes and, uh, hopefully we can replicate it again elsewhere. But, uh, with that said, we're going to do a rotation here. Uh, Scott, I'm going to keep it with you. Actually, I'm going to toss it your way and, uh, I'm going to just ask you the same question everybody gets. Why are you bullish? Well, I, I was planning to do the sat market thing, but since you stole it, I'm going to have to come up with something on the fly. So uh, my, my, uh, my, my brand is about hyper-Bitcoinization. And so it's not a thing per se, but it's been on my mind over the last little while as we're heading into 2024 and thinking about all these massive tailwinds that are occurring for Bitcoin all at once. 
And I think in the, in the Bitcoin community, you have this, um, there's a there's a fair amount of sort of battle-hardened skepticism and uh, I don't want to say jadedness, but like the longer people are in Bitcoin, the, the more they get wise to like, let, let's, let's just be patient about this thing. Let's have the right level of uh, optimism versus realism. Uh, and I think what happens on that as an offshoot is the notion that since hyper-Bitcoinization hasn't happened as an overnight event, that that might mean that it's not happening or it might not happen ever. And my opinion of taking stock of everything that's going on uh, as, a, as an observer of the ecosystem and everything that's coming is we are living in hyper-Bitcoinization right now. And it started with the Genesis block. Like, this is it. It's, it's not going to be an event. It's not like Christmas Eve where we're, we're going to wake up. And it, and it shouldn't be because if it did, that would probably be so insane that uh, <laughs> like the, the world's not ready for uh, overnight hyper-Bitcoinization. It's more like, you know, it's, it's less like Christmas. It's more like puberty. You know, it's a process and it's going to take time. This thing is going to take some time to unfold. Humans have been using money for like 5,000 years. And so we, we can't expect people to understand that there's a better money just because that money exists and things like this market, uh, you know, Bitcoin is among other things, the sum of human action. And we, we observe that action and we contribute to it. And, and it, it's that part that drives the adoption and the evolution of, of how money and our understanding of money works. So I think like, you know, turn off your dystopian predictive programming, Netflix and stop watching the news. Like these things are designed to, make us a fearful of the future because people who are afraid of the future are going to be wanting certainty and they're going to be scared of the unknown. And so the reason why we have these things happening in the media is because we, we have the greatest technological source of optimism that could ever possibly have existed in our hands. It's like we have the plans to the Death Star and uh, we're, we're sailing away and they know we have it. And, and we, so they're, they're, you know, this, this bent on focusing on things that are negative and there's a lot of reason to do it, you know, ignores the pending ETFs. And we even see debates about whether or not the ETFs are going to be a positive thing. Like, yes, it, it, <laughs> making it very easy for huge organizations to buy Bitcoin en masse is going to be a positive thing in the short term. Trust me. FASB, making it easier for companies to hold Bitcoin in their corporate balance sheets. This is a big deal. Gold being completely impotent is a big deal as, as a narrative around store of value. I think about uh, in previous cycles, ordinary people didn't care about inflation or it wasn't such that it was a pain point that would actually make people start to question how money actually works and this question of what money is. I have this announcement yesterday about River's new Link product. So like my other thing is take stock of all of the, uh, of the innovation that's happening already today and then multiply that out like bitcoin today has probably harnessed like 0.01 percent of the collective human brain power like it's a good 0.01 percent we've got some good brains in here but like imagine what this thing is going to look like when we get one percent and three percent and five percent and the collective inertia and innovation that's coming and all of the people who aren't bitcoiners today that are close to to figuring it out and you know like on Twitter over this last couple of weeks, there's like Darth Powell and Owen Benjamin and all these people who are like, 
they're literally on the verge of orange pilling themselves by uh, <laughs> working their way through. You can see it. You can like watch it happening in real time. And, you know, when I think about block rewards, we're, we're one small company in one small town in Canada and we're building something really cool. And there are countless companies like us that are doing cool stuff. And so, so we get to be a part of like, I know it's people have endless amount of time to think about Bitcoin and what it might be and where it's going, and what it is, but we, we're living through it now. Like this is it. Hyper Bitcoinization is happening. We're here for it. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. I, I, I won't uh, take up the other gentleman's time to to comment and everything. I kind of uh, took over the beginning of the show there. So I'll, I'll open it up to uh, Seb and John if you guys want to dive in, add comments. Yeah, I uh, that was fantastic, Scott. You covered a lot there. One of the things you reminded me of is a, a book that's probably near and dear to many Bitcoiners hearts, even though they don't, the word Bitcoin does not appear in it because it was written in like 1997, I think. And that's The Sovereign Individual. And um, you just reminded me of this because I think the parallels to what's happening now with if you want to just call it Bitcoin monetizing or go as far as say hyper Bitcoinization, the parallels to what happened with the Catholic Church and the control that they had over all of Europe and then how they lost that um, through basically, I mean, a whole bunch of things. But one of the biggest ones was the printing press and this book and then, then the free flowing of information. And you couldn't just say this is the word of God because I told you. And by the way, I'm Catholic, so this is not meant to be like an anti-Catholic thing, but it's just a point of fact that they got to a point where there was just control over the whole population telling people when they could do things on different days and selling of indulgences and all that craziness. So you had this dynamic where there was basically an invention and it was the printing press. And if you look at that point in time, the Catholic church would not have wanted this to have happened. Um, but at the end of the day, they ultimately didn't have a choice. And this reminds me of the quote, there's nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come. But you probably don't want to describe all that as like, oh, it was a piece of cake. You know, it was so everyone should have saw this coming and there were there were no ups and downs because I think that was not the case whatsoever. And that's why this book is so incredible, because they detail some of the things that were happening approximately in the year, you know, 1500, 1600. And um, some of the things that were going on, there was like huge back and forth. Like you may have would have thought that the Catholic Church was like, they're like grabbing on to their power and like trying to maintain it. And I think the analogy today is really good because you have someone like Elizabeth Warren with this, you know, trying to abuse FinCEN and doing things that are blatantly unconstitutional, expanding the Bank Secrecy Act, which is unconstitutional to begin with. So they're expanding an unconstitutional program. Those things are going to happen. Um, I don't think we should be so complacent to say, you know, Bitcoin's going to win no matter what, we're fine. I think that would be too much. I do believe that it is a technology and an invention and a network that will win over all these things. But there is going to be a back and forth. There's going to be the Elizabeth Warrens. And, and she's not even the first one to do this. Isn't, isn't this like the third time in the last two years that they're trying to make self-custody of Bitcoin de facto illegal based on KYC and data collection that is literally impossible to do? So these kinds of things are going to happen. I ultimately believe it's a technology and a, an idea whose time has come. Um, so yeah, super, super bullish for all the things you said, but you reminded me of that and wanted to share that analogy. 
I think you bring up some really good points, John. And, and again, Scott, that was such a good approach. And for thinking that on the spot, I wholeheartedly agree. I think, you know what? I think line of the night is definitely hyperbitcoinization is like puberty because the reality is <laughs> it's exactly like puberty. Puberty, we go through highs and lows. We go through our first love, which is probably El Salvador. And then we're going to have breakups. We're going to have all of these events in our lives that are just going to trigger some wild emotions. And some of them are going to crush us and some of them are going to create immense change. But I think what's really important is we go through this as like a phase shift as opposed to this single event, just because naturally... Although I think as a community, we have a deep understanding of Bitcoin, we also do not understand all of the advantages and disadvantages to being on something like a Bitcoin standard. And not everything is going to be rosy. It's also going to create pain in certain ways, just like we know if you have a lot of debt, all of a sudden your debt in a currency which is increasing in purchasing power is going to be incredibly burdensome. So I think it's really important to think about how can we transition in a way that creates the least amount of damage? How do we transition in a way that benefits the most amount of people? And I think having that at the back of our minds as we're seeing this slow adoption is really important. Yeah. Uh, also, the the <laughs> the puberty analogy is great because all of us have the temperament like we're going through puberty too. <laughs> flying off the handle at each other, screaming about simple little things. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's very akin to that. Pre premature uh <laughs> i sold my bitcoin early <laughs> yeah exactly oh no how embarrassing yeah <laughs> yeah i think um again like it's it's it will seem i will say in in the context of history it will seem quick right it will like for those of us living through it now currently it's going to seem very long especially if you've been sitting around for years basically saying, oh, this, it's obvious, this is how it's going to pan out, but then it takes the other, you know, 7.9 billion people on the planet a decade or two to figure it out, it's, yeah, that's that seems like a long time. When, you're, when you are certain of something and it takes 15, 20 years for you to see it play out, that's going to be a lifetime. But... In historical context, when people are looking back and they're going, holy crap, these people base their monetary policy on like a handful of people in a room uh, and they would actually move the, uh, the amount of money as if that like could create or, or ruin wealth as opposed to, uh, you know, reallocate it. Like it's almost like nobody understood that creating more money didn't create more more wealth, it just reallocated the percentage of the economy to those that had the control of the printer. And I think in that context, when they're looking back, they're going to say, man, all this happened in like 20 years or 30 years. Like it's, that's crazy. Um, but to us, I mean, that's, that's like most of our like entire adult lives is, is watching this slowly play out. So, um, yeah, it's it's hard not to be impatient, right? It's hard not to realize that you're you're living through probably one of the biggest seismic shifts in humanity in quite some time. And uh it's just rough realizing it and waiting for everybody else to 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 get on your level. That's also why uh it's so refreshing to be with bitcoiners in person because it's just the look and you, you know. You know. <laughs> 
it, I, I, I find it for one of the funniest things when people come up to you and they're just like, Bitcoin has failed. Like, who's using it? And you're just like, Bitcoin is worth, I don't know what it is right now, $700 billion, $600 billion. Yeah. And we're talking about something that has been around since 2009. Like, yeah. And at one point, it was like, I think it was the fourth largest currency in the world. You're talking about something that has just arrived in 2009. And I think people get lost in their own spectrum of time when mm -hmm. in the grand scheme of things, something that's 12 years old at the pace, or what is it, uh, 14 years old at the pace mm -hmm. at which it is right now is just truly, truly profound, truly profound. Joe Weisenthal, who uh, I, I there's worse guys out there on Twitter than Joe Weisenthal, but sometimes he has these takes that I'm just like, oh my gosh. He had uh, said said something in the last month or two. He said something to the effect of uh, he was actually you know throwing Bitcoin a bone, and he's like, oh, in 14 years, Bitcoin is now whatever it was at the time, 700 billion dollar market cap. Uh, he just said like, oh, it's impressive or something. He's like, but you know, the, the 10 biggest tech companies in the world, like they have amassed more value. And I just remember thinking, I was like, okay, so these mainstream talking heads in financial media, five, six years ago, they were like, Bitcoin's a tool bubble, Bitcoin's a scam, it's a Ponzi scheme. And now the critique is, okay, well, it's worth $750 billion, but you know, Microsoft is still worth more. It's like, do you guys even realize how far you've gone with this? If that's how your critiques are changing, you know, like maybe you could at least acknowledge that you're doing a 180 here, but they don't, that seems to be lost on them. Oh, and to, to your point as well, John, it's the thing I find so fascinating is that when the government steps in and intervenes with interest rates and suppresses interest rates, you're naturally redirecting capital to tech companies and growth companies because you're extending their runway. Bitcoin has just seen hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. So we're fighting this huge headwind while these growth companies at their prices have just got these huge tailwinds. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's like comparing apples to oranges. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree. It's, it's, it's funny how, again, the, the goalposts always get, get shifted um, for a lot of Bitcoin detractors. But I also have to say that, um, you know, there, there's definitely people that kind of come into the space and they, they have a specific idea of, of uh, you know, you know, their interpretation of how Bitcoin should should work and so on and so forth. And it's it's still very early. We don't know exactly how all of this infrastructure is going to work together. Um, but I see a lot of people when it's not exactly as anticipated and that, you know, you kind of have to you have to be ready to learn and adapt to how this network handles um the world right like the the network is going to uh kind of grow and and handle different situations in very interesting ways and so it's it's kind of up to you to adapt and and learn how to most efficiently utilize that for yourself because at the end of the day you know it in its current form, most people aren't going to be interacting on chain regularly. Like that's going to be like the, that those movements are going to be um, aggregating probably a whole bunch of different financial uh, and economic activity all at once. And so it's up to us to kind of decipher what the average person's interaction with Bitcoin looks like. And I mean, right now we're, we're at we're at one of those funny puberty moments, right? We're at a point where we've seen companies 
previously have to grapple with how they can be more efficient on chain. You know, we saw that end of 2017, you know, SegWit had just been rolled out, but nobody was really like, it wasn't rolled out on exchanges or anything yet. Exchanges weren't batching. Every single withdrawal was an on-chain transaction. And so all of a sudden, you know, end of 2017, I remember paying a hundred plus dollars for a transaction. And so exchanges then realize like, holy crap, we can't be doing individual transactions for every single person. We're like, our customers are getting pissed because the, the transactions are brutal. They're not going through quickly because the mempool's backed up and we're, you know, we're getting screwed on fees too. Like we're, we're unable to deal with it. So they ended up batching and doing all these things, adding Segway. And now we're seeing similar things with exchanges, adding lightning and adding all of these different things. But for the first time, consistently, we're seeing individual people have to be cognizant of how efficient they are using the main chain. And so we're, we're hitting a puberty moment right now, and we're not even really in a bull run yet. So like in a way it's kind of good because the people that are around right now, you, you have time to learn tools to kind of mitigate those factors, but like you can't just sit there and stand still and then get pissed when it doesn't work. And you're, you haven't adapted to this very young network going through puberty. Like you, you've got to be ready. So, um, yeah, I, I think my number one takeaway from, from this topic is things seem to be moving slowly, but at the same time, we're, we're hitting those hurdles and there's these, these bursts of, of change that even us as Bitcoiners who know what's up need to adapt to and need to learn from. And, uh, and, and yeah, it's, it's happening. <laughs> it's happening, everybody. Um, but with that, uh, again, I love this topic. I think it's super interesting, but, uh, with that, I'm going to put a bow on that one and we're going to keep it going. Gonna get keep it rolling. I'm gonna toss it down to John next, and John, I cue you up with the same question everybody gets, and I'll ask you, why are you bullish? So my answer is gonna be very briefly. I'm bullish because it's early, nice. and uh, what I think I can describe that in a, in a bunch of different ways. Uh, early in the sense that Bitcoin is seven eight hundred billion dollar market cap. Um, compared to gold, which is call it 11, 12 trillion, Bitcoin still has to 15x just to match gold's market cap. And as I was saying earlier, most Bitcoiners would be of the of the view that if it, we use gold 2.0 as an analogy for normies to wrap their head around, but we're not just trying to make Bitcoin the, the digital version of gold in, in all the same ways in the same market cap. So to have 15x ahead of you just to match your next comparable asset um, to me is incredibly bullish. And it's also a sign that we're early. It's also something that um, I'm amazed at because I come from the world of Wall Street and institutional investing, specifically the world of fixed income bonds. And one of the ways we used to value corporate bonds, for example, is what we call relative value or looking at comparables. So you would take all the bonds in a particular industry, whatever it is, autos, pharma, banks, et cetera, and you look at them and they each have a different credit profile and they each have different spreads, which equates to the bonds price. And you would look at them and you kind of say, well, this company's better than this one. This one's better than this one. So you look at the one ahead of it that's better, has a better credit profile, better management, et cetera. And you say, well, it's not going to trade tighter than this one. So that's kind of, you know, the, the best it can do. Um, but that's the whole point of relative value analysis for valuation. 
people on Wall Street should understand that. This is like their bread and butter. But I've tried to talk to them about Bitcoin being, you know, still has to go up 15x just to match its next comparable asset. And you'd think that would land with them. You'd think that'd be like, oh, wow, there's this like really high ceiling. And, it, and it's not even a ceiling that has to stop there. It, it's not like once Bitcoin gets to 12 trillion, it has to stop for some reason. Um, so you'd think that would land with them, but surprisingly, it doesn't. I think it is because they don't really understand even the concept of sound money. They haven't read a book like Seb's or, or any of the other books about sound money. Um, other ways that I think we're early, I have had conversations with my former colleagues who cannot tell the difference between Bitcoin and FTX. I mean, literally to them, it's the same thing. Uh, I've had a conversation with a former coworker of mine who, when I asked him what he thought about Bitcoin, he said he's even more confident that he wants nothing to do with it because of what happened with SBF and FTX, um, which obviously just displays a complete confusion <laughs> about what's going on. Um, also bullish because what, uh, why I think it's early is because if you look at how many people I think have actually adopted Bitcoin in a meaningful way, not like I bought $50 in my Coinbase account in 2017 or 2021, and I haven't looked at it since like a meaningful way. It's a pretty small number. Mm -hmm. Um, just on Twitter recently, um, Pletator, who I'm sure everyone follows, he looked into a survey that Coinbase did. And they like kind of rigged the survey to heavily weight it with people who work for crypto companies. And of course, to Coinbase, it's crypto, not not Bitcoin. But they wanted to give it this impression that a higher number of Americans are like using crypto every day. But I think the reality is that we're much earlier in the adoption cycle than what Coinbase wanted to provide, um, make people think based on that survey. So I think we're just we're super early. And I think that's a reason to be bullish. Um, and then just one thing to kind of tie it into that and the topic we were talking about before, I, I think, Ben, you were hitting on something that I think is just like why Bitcoin is so fascinating and, and would love to hear you guys' thoughts on this. I think there's two ways to talk about Bitcoin. There's talking about sound money, and you could almost be talking about any asset. Like you could be talking about gold, you could be talking about Bitcoin and all the amazing things about sound money. And then the second way is how does that asset succeed as sound money? And that gets into a conversation about all the things you were mentioning, scaling technologies. How do we actually scale this thing to 8 billion people so they can use it every day to buy what they want? In my opinion, the first of those topics, the sound money is, is like, a, it's a shoe in it. Like we need sound money. The whole people who say you need to have more units of currency for economic growth. They're just wrong. It's, it's not. You know, it's not a difference of opinion. They're just wrong. Um, on the other one, I do believe it's not as clear. It, it, the path, like, and that's, this is kind of what you were saying, Ben. Like, it's not as clear because not everyone's going to have an on-chain UTXO. That, yeah. that's, that's the direction Bitcoin is heading. And even Bitcoin plus Lightning is not going to get 8 billion people using Bitcoin as a network um, for everyday transactions. So now you're talking Bitcoin plus Lightning plus Chamian eCash mints, and those don't really exist yet. So that's kind of my framework for talking about Bitcoin. One, I think, is very clear cut. The other one, it's not really built yet. So there's much more uncertainty there. Uh, I know I said a ton, but I will pause there. I, I like it, uh, though. I, I think, yeah, I, I think that, um, I, you know, I like your buckets of of how to, how to talk about Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, I, I think 
I guess to elaborate on that, Bitcoin is is many things to many people, depending on why you're first coming to it. So you know, the earliest, like obviously, there's there's uh, most people their initial interaction is speculation, but then it turns into long, you know, for those that get it, it turns into long term savings. But there's also a you know there's there's the 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 bucket of effectively preserving purchasing power is kind of like where even speculation comes from. It's like, I don't, I don't want to be poor, but then there's also like this to a degree, like escaping control, surveillance and coercion. And there's that aspect to it as well. And that's, that's where like the on-chain scaling and like the other, you know, privacy solutions and like, how, how does the average person um, get to transact with sound money but in a way that can't be, you know, that is still as censorship resistant and, and is still like, you know, you, you don't want rug pull risk or, or you, you want a, a, a acceptable trade-offs for what you're trying to do. And so like to a degree, yes, like you, you need, you absolutely need that, that verifiable uh, unruggable base layer where you you are certain of the rules of the system, but then do you need um, your coffee to be etched into the time chain for the rest of humanity to see in perpetuity moving forward? I'd argue maybe not, um, but also people are putting dick butts on the blockchain right now. So like, <laughs> who am I to say? Uh, but either way, um, you know, the, the, I think the economics works itself out here. Um, and, and, you know, this is, it's not really a choice in the long run, um, in terms of if, if we want verifiability of the base layer, uh, we, we got to keep that thing lean. And so where do those trade-offs come? They come in the form of expense on the base layer and trade-offs in subsequent layers and side chains. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about uh, a couple points as you were talking. And one, you know, the stats in Canada were something similar. At one point, I remember seeing something like one in six or one in seven Canadians. And just in my day-to-day experience of talking to people, there is no way <laughs> that one out of every six people owns Bitcoin, like just crypto, anything. It's definitely not. Yeah. And uh, then even at like at a zooming out at a bigger level, um, there was a pod, the TFTC episode that kind of blew up a little bit a couple days ago with Fred Krueger and he uh first time I'd seen him you know brilliant dude talking about uh, a bunch of different kind of Bitcoin post ETF analysis Wall Street guy and you know lots of interesting insights if you watch that episode and then the next day he was tweeting he he tweeted out something uh that was sort of the effect of once Bitcoin hits a million the party's over and I was like oh like okay so you're still you're still thinking that this is an investment like uh, so even within people who are sort of quasi in the Bitcoin community, there there is like a spread of opinions around what this thing is and where it goes to your point about how early we are, right? And there's lots of smart, smart, smart people who even kind of understand, I'll say aspects of Bitcoin uh, that clearly have a differing opinion about what its end state could be post-puberty. Yeah. Seb, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts here as well. Scott, you brought up a couple of really good points. One, first off, John, I wholeheartedly agree. I think when people are just like, look what Bitcoin's done. It's gone up from $1, $2, $3. Now we're sitting at $42,000. Like we're we're well along the way. And we're just like, no, 
I think that we're still talking about the economics of Bitcoin. We're still talking about the price of Bitcoin. And we barely ever talk about all of the other aspects like how Bitcoin or how money influences our social sphere, how money influences our environment, how money influences politics and businesses. And this is where what I think is just so fascinating is that, and to your point, Scott, when Bitcoin starts hitting 500,000, a million dollars a coin, all of a sudden, I think people start to realize this is not just an investment. This is actually realigning the incentives in society and altering how we behave in society. Because all of a sudden, if you have a money that's incentivizing you to save as opposed to consume, people are going to start flooding into that money. Money's going to be pulling out of real estate. Money's going to be pulling out of equities. Money's going to be pulling out of the traditional finance bond market, you name it. And I think this is where at the moment, it doesn't really matter who you're voting for. If you're voting for left, if you're voting for right, if you're voting for Democrats, Republicans, because ultimately they're a product of a system that is incentivizing greater and greater intervention given the amount of debt that we have. When we have a money that all of a sudden is incentivizing us to save, incentivizing us to be productive, incentivizing us to collaborate, because it's the only way to obtain value is to offer value, suddenly it's shifting all of these incentives in society. And so again, to your point, John, I think we're so early because the average individual doesn't really understand how our current system has massively misaligned incentives and doesn't really understand to what extent even our monetary we have like zero transparency in our monetary system in politics and you name it and and for me it's it's interesting because like i told you guys that those two buckets are how i think about things like the importance of just sound money and then how does bitcoin scale to become sound money buckets one and two um, I am fully sold on bucket number one. Bucket number two is the one where I, I think there's much more uncertainty. Things need to play out. But for the average person, you can't start with like it goes in order. You, imagine trying to talk to the average person about Bitcoin scaling solutions when they're not even aware of the impact of fiat money and central banking uh, or even commercial debt banking within the fiat system on broader society like they don't care about lightning they don't care about transaction batching chami and e-cashments like you have to start with the importance of sound money to a normal person so yeah i i think that that's just that's just the order of operations it, it has to come first and then once they're on board with sound money because think about some of these people who believe the narrative that oh you need more units of currency to get economic growth and if we have fixed supply money we'll enter into a depression because my high school economics teacher told me that the gold standard caused the Great Depression. Um, the, even if you could convince them that Bitcoin is sound money for 8 billion people and we can zap sats to everyone instantly and it's totally secure and everything works, they won't care because their view is going to be, oh, but fixed supply money is bad. So you, you have to convince them first that sound money is the answer to so many problems in society. And then you can start talking to them about, okay, and here's Bitcoin's plan to scale and to be sound money for 8 billion people in the world. It's, I wanted to have one little point, which is a slight tangent, but it kind of just popped into my mind off what you were saying, John, talking about the depression. I just recently listened to the What Bitcoin Did podcast with, um, oh, mind block on her name, the lady that started Custodia, Caitlin uh, Long. And if any of you guys have an hour or so and you want to burn it, go and listen to this podcast. One of the things she mentions, and I had no idea about this, is in 1920, there was a depression before the depression. And this depression isn't talked about. It was just as deep. It had just as high unemployment rates, supposedly. And, but it was only nine months long. And the reason why the depression happened is because after World War I, 
uh, the US tried to go back onto the gold standard at the same rate, but it had far more debt. So you had this huge deflationary shock collapsing throughout society. So of course, we saw this depression, but the central bank didn't intervene. And all of a sudden, you let the free market play out, you allow debt to wipe clean, and it lasted nine months, and it was over with. And so this is one of these things that's showing you like, when we allow the free market to kind of take hold, when you allow the free market to kind of wipe clean a lot of this malinvestment, it allows the economy to come back stronger. Whereas when we continually intervene, we're just we're, we're misaligning the incentives, we're incentivizing fiscal irresponsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's uh, people are are just utterly incapable of of keeping their hands off when when there's when there's a lever to pull and there's a button to push, it will be pulled and pushed. And and so Bitcoin, that's all Bitcoin did is it got rid of all the dials and the levers. And <laughs> all you can do is press on and you can't turn you. There's no off button. And so like that's it's just is it working? Yeah, it's still there. Cool. That's that's it. It just removed all of the complexity. And then people have to now tailor their behavior to the machine as it's running. And that's what we get here. And I just think the this pro-central banking crowd will say, well, we have central banking to stabilize the system and to prevent financial crises from happening. I, I just don't understand how you could make that argument. The Great Depression, 1929, uh, 1971, you had to remove the base unit because the system was so unstable. 2008, you have the greatest housing and financial crisis since the Great Depression. Then during COVID, you I mean, COVID is unique, but you have to then you know inject all these new reserves in through QE. I, that does not seem like a stable system to me. I think you have, it's a very hard case to make that fiat currency central banking has made anything more stable. Yeah, there was, there was a talk a little while back with Safe and he made such a good point. And he's just like, I can't, I don't think I've ever seen an animal that has got diabetes, but I've also never seen an animal that has a PhD in nutrition or a master's in nutrition. Yet we've got all of these accolades, we've got all of these degrees, and we supposedly understand what we're doing. Yet we're making the system usually worse. Yeah, and look at obesity rates. <laughs> all of those, all of those uh, PhDs have not um, vastly improved uh, society, have they? <laughs> yeah. Well, nonetheless, uh, I, I, again, I, I. I enjoy the rabbit holes that we went down with this topic. Um, and, uh, and John, thank you for that. And, and with that, we're going to do our final rotation. Uh, I'm going to pop over to Seb and, uh, dude, I'm going to queue you up with the same question. Why are you bullish? Take it away. So first to start, I would say when you look at money, money is meant to serve three functions. It's meant to be a store of value, a medium exchange, a unit of account. Now, let's forget about these second two for a second and look at a store value. When money loses value over time, naturally, we're going to try and seek value elsewhere. We're going to try and find that inflation hedge. So what do we do? We pile all our money into real estate. We pile all our money into farmland. We pile all our money into equities, you name it. And so all of a sudden, all of these assets just go up and up and up. And that means that the average house no longer is being used for its utility purpose, which is to live in, to put a roof over your head to support your family. Instead, it's being used purely just as an asset. And where I live, I, I rent a basement suite here in Whistler in the little ski resort. The average house is four and a half million dollars. Like, it's insane. How, how can anyone afford this type of stuff? And even in the Cedar Sky Highway, which is from Vancouver up to Whistler, it's about an hour and a half drive. 
the average house is a hundred times the average person's wage. So we're, we've got all of this skewed, uh, this skewed asset prices because of monetary intervention, because our money is losing value over time, and people are looking to seek to store that value in other things like real estate. What I think is so incredible about Bitcoin is, and I should take a step back and quickly describe why. But Bitcoin price, uh, well, because its price goes up, its purchasing power goes up over time. Rather than seeing our cost of living go up, we see our cost of living go down. Now, what's interesting is, well, first off, why does that happen? For those that may be unfamiliar, when you've got a fixed supply of currency and you've got increasing technological advancement, increasing productivity, if you think about technological advancement, we're always trying to get more for less. So if we're always trying to get more for less, then prices should fall over time, not rise. So if you've got a fixed supply of currency units, 21 million with Bitcoin, naturally, prices are going to fall. So all of a sudden, if you're now incentivized to save in the current currency, you're going to see money flood out of a lot of these other assets like equities, like real estate, back into the currency. So why am I bullish? Because the average individual is going to be able to slowly begin to afford a house again. The average individual is going to be able to support their family and have some form of sovereignty rather than having a society built upon renters. So I think Bitcoin is truly incredible. And again, this kind of going back to John's point. This isn't something that's happening overnight. This is something that I think is a lot further down the line, but you're shifting all these incentives in society. If you incentivize people to save in the currency, they no longer have to seek inflation hedges and all of these other types of assets. And I also think, again, it takes a lot of money from all these startups that, although yes, I think there's a lot of startups that are creating a lot of value in society, there's also, we're burning trillions of dollars into a lot of these unicorns, 90% of them fail. And that, that is immense capital destruction. So if you're incentivized to save, people are going to be a lot more conscious of how they direct their capital. If they're a lot more conscious of how they direct their capital, then people are going to have to increase the amount of value they're offering to society. So it's kind of, there's a few different things in there, but I'll let you guys riff on that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I... I this is one thing that I, I find it, it's it's hard to communicate. Like you, you're talking about, again, the the um, financialization of everything, and it, this is a this is a very difficult thing to get people to understand. Because again, we, we we've everything in society is as as the quality of just about everything is degraded, and that includes our our educa education coming out of school. And so we, you know, you, you don't get the, the bare bones basics of, of any sort of fiscal responsibility by the time you exit high school. Like that's, that's, you know, that's, that's on top of what you, you know, you learn all this other, I'd say borderline useless crap <laughs> throughout high school, you graduate, you have no idea actually how to live. Um, so it's, it's incredibly difficult to describe to people that are used to just looking at surface level, like, prices are high, who is selling the thing, the landlords are evil. And so, you you know, that's, that's as, about as far as it goes for everyone. In, in Canada, we're seeing the same thing where um, groceries are super expensive. I can't afford to feed my family anymore. Um, and, and we have our own prime minister saying, oh, it's the grocers. They're, they're the ones that we need to, like they, they are making record profits as measured in fiat <laughs> in like pure numbers terms but not accounting for the percentage of their you know how how much are they actually keeping what's their net and so like percentage wise you know that there it's still slim as hell margins when it comes to to major grocers 
And so like we, we have a, a, a whole group of people that is not used to looking beyond like, this is expensive. This person's selling it. They have upped the prices. There's no why that comes after that. There's no, well, where did the person get this product from? Where did the person that created that product, where, wh- how are their prices informed? What things did they have to buy? They don't realize that it's all kind of cyclical and and coming around. And they don't realize that, that it goes beyond just what you see. Um, and I think the, the hardest part to explain to people, which I've tried to distill, is that Again, when you have you have all of the goods and services that currently exist in a system, if you just add more currency units, you don't create anything. You just all that money just represents the same stuff that already existed. And it's just a matter of, okay, well, what percentage of all the money do you have now? Less, unless you're the one who printed the new stuff. And so it's like, well, you can now, uh, now you can buy a, a lesser percentage of all the stuff that existed. And so the, the, the tricky thing with inflation is trying to explain to people, like, it's not, it's much more insidious than even our day to day when we're saying under regular conditions, oh, it's a, a couple percent or whatever. It's much more insidious than that, Seb, you, you, you pointed to it is we are constantly able to through human ingenuity able to create more stuff with less effort. And so not only are we losing the couple percent on on the pricings, it's we're losing the god knows how many percent in in just efficiency that we've gained as people. Like you 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 go out, it's it's definitely not more expensive to create a can of coke than it was 50 years ago. It's orders of magnitude cheaper to create that product and in terms of like human effort and the scale at which you can do it. It should be orders of magnitude cheaper to buy a can of Coke right now, but it's not. It's it's like, you know, multiples and multiples of what it originally was. So people don't they don't even realize that the 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 inflation is is like the few percent plus all of this stuff tailing it, trailing it. Um, that has happened beforehand. So, I mean, that's kind of my my main hurdle in trying to explain this stuff to people. Yeah, I, I was uh, I was just actually at the airport on my uh, when after landing, waiting for my bags, telling somebody what I was doing here, and uh, the first thing that came out of his mouth was, "Well, you guys are going to have to fix that uh, that volatility thing." <laughs> like, <okay. laughs> yeah, sure. To, to your original point, Seb, you know, I I, I think about this sometimes, and I wonder. Whether or not you can actually pull apart um, unit of account and store of value, because I, I really think the two are sort of like inexorably linked. Because it's really what you're talking about, right? Like, as as the store of value, as money fails at its in, in its in its function in a store of value, that's when we start to see unit of account get weird, and and vice versa, right? Like when the price of a bottle of Coke didn't change for like 65 years. That was as a result of store of value doing its thing and the unit of account staying the same. So um, I, I do think that it's this, uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a super weird thing to for people to understand. But and it's going to be painful to get there. But I'm so I want to agree with you. And we've talked about this before with real estate. Like 
the prospect of Bitcoin making life affordable for average people is one of the most exciting things about it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I love, love that, Seb. I, I like to say I'm one of the crazy people that believe sound money is going to improve our systems of education, healthcare, science, food, art, architecture, energy. Uh, maybe I missed one or two there, but I, I fully believe that. And I know people, nor, normies, so to speak, would think that's absolutely insane for someone to say that. I don't think it's that crazy if you consider that money is uh, the tool that we all use to coordinate all of our behavior. Um, unless you're going to live a hunter-gatherer lifestyle and completely forego money and specialization and trade and all the things in a modern economy, money is going to affect everything. So it's not really that surprising to me that to, to say that it's going to affect all of these systems. If you corrupt the money, you're going to corrupt all these systems. This is why Bitcoiners say fix the money, fix the world. One thing I will mention that um, it's kind of talked about in Bitcoin circles, but maybe not as much as the others, is this idea of uh, perpetuating wealth inequality. And this system, or wealth concentration, I should probably say, if I want to be really accurate about it, because if you say wealth inequality is a bad thing, some people might say, oh, are you, are you saying that you know, wealth should be equal everywhere? No, I'm definitely not saying that. It is natural for wealth to be unequal. People are different. People have different interests, different skills, etc. But I think there's unnatural levels of wealth concentration. And I think our system has, to, to put it very succinctly, has pumped up asset prices. Like you said, homes that are costing 100 times the average wage in some areas. Um, uh, just financial assets in general. People who... Um, had a retirement account that has been invested over the last many years and they've been earning 8 to 12% because that's what stocks in the 60-40 portfolio, portfolio have returned for them. This is causing unnatural wealth concentration, um, the, especially in an environment where this is not real investing. If you truly invest and you take the risk and you do the analysis and you do the work, you deserve to get a return for sure. But that's not what this system has been for decades at this point. It's basically every time there's been something bad that is going to happen, whether it's 2008 or COVID, the system gets bailed out. You know, what would have happened to people's financial assets in 2008, whether it's your house, whether it's your stock portfolio, if the fiscal authorities and the monetary authorities didn't step in, those people would have lost their shirt. But since we bail out the system, we perpetuate it, and 2020 was the same thing again, financial asset owners keep getting bailed out. Their money keeps multiplying at this rate because it, it, it's just the system that keeps charging along and keeps inflating, keeps inflating. And I think it's just, it's absolutely terrible for unnatural wealth concentration. Uh, I wouldn't blame a young person for being pretty disheartened at the, if they don't have a house, they don't have a 401k, they don't have a brokerage account they're not going to be feeling very good right now. And, and I think that's pretty warranted. Um, so in addition to all those systems that I think broken money corrupts, it, it also just, it, it really hurts this unnatural wealth concentration. And it's just imperative for us to stop this train before it gets too late. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Scott, do you want, do you want to dive in here too? Uh, you know, I think, I think I, I, I made my point on that one. I'm good. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair I was going to I was going to add one point to what you were saying John which is I think it's super fascinating and that is 
at the moment, you can see this in action where people just cannot afford to even get into the housing market. We're seeing this wealth inequality. And as you say, wealth inequality isn't the best word. It's wealth, wealth, more wealth concentration. But millennials today, I think, what is it? We own 4% of the housing market. What's interesting is the baby boomers, when they were our age, they own 35% of the housing market. So mm. you're seeing over time mm. that concentration of wealth just because assets are so pricey, we just can't get into the market in the first place. It's um, again, like the, the, you, you've seen endless streams now of, of these videos of, of people that are not even in, not even in jobs that would, would be looked at as, oh, it's just a, a temp job. Or you see, you see videos now of nurses, you know, crying in their cars because they can't afford to live. And they're like, I don't, I don't understand. I, I literally did everything I was told. I went to school. I trained in a job that's in demand that people need, like people need nurses. And I went and I worked and I, I, I can't feed my family. And like, we're, I can't cover rent. I can't put food on the table. And they're, you know, and they're like, I'm making 30 something dollars an hour or whatever, which to me sounds good and i don't understand how in a what's what was traditionally known as like a good career i could be struggling to survive and you know uh, john i think again this your your mention and and seb as as we're going down the rabbit hole of 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 um i guess we're in a situation where John, you were saying that that wealth can be concentrated. Uh, how, how did you term it? You said um, artificially or like natural wealth concentration. Yeah, and so like in, in in a functioning society, wealth would be concentrated on those that have brought forth the most value to society, and that couldn't be further from the truth right now, right? You see, all you see is like you see the the wealth on on Wall Street. It's all financial products it's all speculative it's all hey we're closest to the money spigot and it's no wonder that 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 builds up so quickly when of course you you get you get the purchasing power first and you're it's all you're capitalizing on people trying to escape the monetary debasement even though they don't fully understand why they just know well i i gotta trust somebody else to take my money and do something with it because i can't just be good at something and save for retirement. So yeah, like people don't realize how much this breaks society just by having a broken money. It's the basis of everything. Mm -hmm. And I think too, like those videos where people are going live just to vent about their frustration of being a participant in society, that wasn't a thing. Like four years ago or eight years ago, like this is not being a normal thing and it's not meant to be a normal thing. And this is why, you know, back to my rant about like, it's going to be painful for people to get there, but it's it's part of having a really fertile ground for people having the, the the actual impetus to go out and start caring about what money is and how it works is when it's finally broken enough that you can have a real job and work as you know as many hours as you're expected to, and you still cannot be you know living a regular lifestyle. And, and this is happening now. Like Canada is not why I mean. <laughs> We're banana republic we, we we should be able to 
have an expectation to have the kind of lifestyle that we thought we would have growing up in a country like this. And a lot of people are finding out that that's not the case. And it's, and it's because of what's happened to the money. Yeah. And, and where it gets a little frightening is where, so some of what you guys have mentioned, um, Ben, you're talking about like people can identify there's a problem, right? Whether it's prime minister in Canada, grocery prices are too high. How you react to that problem can be very different. Like he's saying, go after the grocers, this evil grocery managers, whatever. Um, that's a very different response. And, and I also get worried with younger people because they identify there's a problem. And a lot of them tend to end up maybe supporting like socialist authoritarian policies. And you almost want to not be too hard on them because it's like they are in a very difficult situation and they're identifying a problem. It's just that's not the right answer. Mm -hmm. So you hope that we can kind of stop this train before it gets too late. Um, I think one of the reasons to potentially be optimistic is um, you look at what happened in Argentina. So th this one's like you could look at it both ways. It's like Argentina voted in a libertarian guy who's sympathetic to a narco capitalist ideas that, you know, I used to read about those on the Mises Institute blog, like after the financial crisis. And I was a total weirdo for reading that. And now there's a guy who's the president of a country of 40 million people who, <laughs> who believes that it's crazy when I think that. Um, so that's the positive side of things. He calls central banking a scam. He calls legal tender laws a scam. The flip side is Argentina had to go through some really bad times in order to get there. Um, similarly, in the U.S., we had the Gilded Age, which is the late 1800s, happened roughly like 10 years after a civil war. So, so you, you, know, you have to wonder, like, does it have to get really bad before it gets better? I hope that Bitcoin is this Trojan horse for peace, as, as some people call it, and that the existing system can go out with a whimper rather than a bang. Um, that remains to be seen, but that, that's, you know, playing both sides there. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. John, you bring up like such good points. And one of the ones I think is so fascinating because you're talking about a lot of the present generation, they can lean towards those socialist tendencies because they're not really questioning the system. There's, there's the, the founder of Toyota. He came up with this thing called the five whys. And the five whys is kind of, it's built around that kind of like our first principles thinking, which is anytime something is happening, ask why is it happening? And then once you figure out why it's happening, ask why that thing is happening and then why again and then why again? And you're trying to get down to that root cause. And what I find is interesting is there's so many individuals you talk to and they're just like, I can't afford rent right now. This is my landlord's problem. And then it's just like, well, why don't you ask the question, why is your landlord raising rent? And then once you figure out why the landlord's raising rent, ask why he has to cover his expense and so on and go down this chain until you kind of hit a roadblock where you can't really, you're trying to get to that root of that problem. And, and, it's, and it's scary because when we're in a system that is constantly taking more and more and more of our time, because naturally our purchasing power is declining, our cost of living is rising, and we have to work more, we don't have the time to critically think. And to your point, it's really easy to fall into these totalitarian, these authoritarian regimes, because we're simply trying to pass off thinking onto someone else because we just don't have the time. And so I think it's so important for people to question, why is this happening? And if you think you know why, ask again, why is that happening? Dig a little deeper than that super superficial layer. <laughs> yeah it's it's it happens so seldom that it's um it, it you know you, you almost got to go back to being a kid <laughs> well you can't have that why because i said so why like you, you have to go back to that mindset um in order to get anywhere um i i guess maybe that's part of the going through the schooling system is 
is by the time you get out the other side, uh, you stop asking why. <laughs> Do what you're told. Um, anyways, gentlemen. Okay, so um, I'm conscious of time. I've I've got to start rounding out here, but there's there's a way that I typically like to to finish up the show and. And uh, the way I usually do that is I just do a quick round of, of two things. Number one, final thoughts, anything like the, the, what your takeaway from the episode was, anything that you didn't get off your chest, welcome to throw those out here. But number two would be uh, recommendations. So recommendations can come in any form. It could be um, as simple as a piece of life advice, something that you found useful in kind of your journey in Bitcoin and otherwise that you think people watching would find useful. But it could be a more substantial, okay, maybe here's a website to check out. Here's a device I liked. Here's a um, a service that I like. Here's um, a, a blog that I read or a video that I watched, whatever that may be. So anything that, that you'd like to kind of throw out there. Um, I am going to use this opportunity to uh, shill for Seb. <laughs> and I'm going to say, go grab The Hidden Cost of Money. Uh, it is on Amazon. And you can, is there is there a better, would you prefer people to grab it on Amazon or would you prefer them to grab it elsewhere if it's better for you? I don't know. Well, at the moment, it's, it's on Amazon. And if it's easiest for you to order on Amazon, by all means, go and order on Amazon. If you live in Canada or in the States, uh, you can always reach out to me as well. And I can sign a copy and send me sats and I'll ship it down to you as well. And more than happy to do that. There you go. Well, it's either way, I'm I'm very excited to dive in. Uh Preston Pish had plenty of kind words. Again, you've got uh Greg Foss chiming in on the cover with a, a quote here. You've got the foreword by Daniel Prince. And I mean, Seb, you're again uh, the stuff that you guys have been doing with looking glass education is is phenomenal. So um I, I fully expect to thoroughly enjoy it. Uh, but I'm I'm giving a pre preemptive uh, stamp of approval nonetheless, and uh, I can't wait to dive in. So yeah, go check it out. The hidden cost of money. Um, Is there an f bomb in Foss's quote on the cover? It could be. <laughs> you know, I was looking at that and I was thinking like, this. I I feel like he said it that way, and then the editor was like, "Ooh, we got to change that." <laughs> he tried. He did his best. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, go check it out um, and uh, and offer your support. And and if you want to do the full sandwich, then pick up a copy of uh, uh, the Hidden Cost of Money, Lynn Alden's Broken Money, and then and then you know it'll be a shit sandwich. But get the get the deficit myth in between there, and you'll you'll be good. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Ben. It, it, on, honestly, it means the world. I really really appreciate it. The last few days have been a little overwhelming. <laughs> well, it's it's good, man. I mean. You put in the work. This is this. This seems like a a, a solid uh, a solid resource here. So, um, uh, and then yeah, I I, th I think that's pretty much it in terms of final thoughts. Again, like it's I I I think the puberty uh, you know uh, comparison was was spot on, and uh, we'll continue to go through it <laughs> for a little while longer and. Uh, that's okay. We'll just be awkward and and irrational for a little while, and and uh, we'll 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 come out of it. It's a phase. <laughs> so, anyways, with that, I'll toss it down the line. Scott, I'll go to you. Final thoughts, recommendations. Go ahead, man. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think this thing happening tomorrow morning in Calgary is a really cool example for other people in Canada or whoever, wherever you are, if you're listening, to start thinking about you know copycatting and see how many of these events can pop up elsewhere. 
this idea of uh, trading stats for all kinds of stuff is just really cool. And, and I do think it's part of this natural evolution of changing the perception of, uh, of what Bitcoin means in, uh, in, in culture. And uh, as a recommendation, I would say if you're not so into reading, Seb was on Preston's pod uh this week and that episode was really also worth checking out so uh for those who are uh less less uh less interested to sit down and, and plow through the text uh, uh that's my recommendation awesome love it man uh you guys are too kind <laughs> well toss it to john next uh john any any final thoughts recommendations anything top of mind go ahead yeah, so what comes to mind, um, I won't show Swan too hard, but this is kind of, you know, tangential to Swan. We do a ton of uh, Bitcoin education. So we just came up with a, um, I, I want to get the URL here. So it's welcome.swanbitcoin.com, welcome to Bitcoin, Bitcoin 101 type thing. Really great resource. Natalie Brunel is the host of it. Um, she does a fantastic job. Would recommend everyone check that out um if you're interested you could use it for yourself oh awesome thanks ben yeah. um you could use it for yourself if you are starting to get those text messages from people which have not started for me i should have mentioned that that's another reason why i think we're early in 2021 i did get these texts from people like hey john i i know you're kind of into bitcoin like can we can you know what, what's going on with it again um that has not really started to happen at all for me right now so i think we're very early and this in this bull cycle what if you start to get people in your life that are you know wanting to talk to you about bitcoin they want to learn more this is a great resource um i would just you know show the idea of going to in-person bitcoin events twitter's great zoom is great get it allows people to connect that couldn't otherwise connect but the in-person stuff is fantastic um, you're going to meet like-minded people that you probably get along with on many other topics beyond Bitcoin. Um, and then just in terms of orange pilling friends, I think there's something to be said for not going too hard. Um, maybe just like have a few screenshots on your phone of like, you know, dollars purchasing power since 1913. We've all seen it. Um, you know, like there's probably a handful of others that rather than sending someone, I mean, sending them a book, if they're willing to read the book, totally great. If they're willing to do the podcast, great. Sometimes just sending people like a few screenshots of photos on the phone might be better for them. It's not as intimidating. So that that comes to mind. Um, and uh, yeah, just just some thoughts on how to meet Bitcoiners in real life and and learn about Bitcoin and share it with people. Oh, I love it. Uh, and you know what? I've I've also uh, wanted to. I'm I'm adding to my recommendations here. By the way, uh, you should go and you should check out. Uh, of course, blockroads.ca. So Scott, Scott, I'm 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 shilling for you, but I'm going to get you to uh, give a give a, a a quick description of of what you guys do, just so people are privy to it. Uh, yeah, thank you. I um, so so we we, we want to be able to incorporate compensation uh, Bitcoin into compensation in whatever way an employer can imagine today. So I think that um, when I think about the way people get paid. Uh, sort of a buzzword, like the, the term is total rewards. That's your, the total basket of things that you take home from work. So that's your that's your salary and your and your and your bonus compensation. Could also be your 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 benefits, and then if you have some kind of a savings plan. And I think that Bitcoin has uh, has a place to be considered in each one of those baskets. So it can be something that is cool and different 
employers can consider offering it as a way to stand out or uh, attract and retain staff. Obviously, Bitcoin's a savings tool. It's the apex savings tool. So forward-thinking employers who want to start imagining how Bitcoin could be a standalone or a part of a retirement strategy for their employees, uh, we have a product to do that too. And then uh, people who want to start thinking about taking part or all of their salary in Bitcoin. So we, we can facilitate some or all of these things. And, and really the, the, the purpose of it is to be able to, to work with companies, small, big, in the middle, and, and build sort of a custom strategy and help them roll it out with, an, with, a, with education and, and support so that their, their staff might feel comfortable to participate and take advantage of it. That's awesome, man. Well, uh, go check it out. Blockrewards.ca. This is uh, uh, explicitly uh, in Canada, correct? It is for now. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just I just love this. Like to me, um, the idea that Bitcoin is better money is really triggering for people who don't understand that it is better money. Yeah. And so I just want to use this term as as frequently and as frustratingly as possible and it, it's like inception you know we can just it starts with a seed and people go home and they're angry and they're laying in bed and they're thinking like what the fuck is he talking about better money it's volatile magic nothing beans and then one day they're they're going to be wanting to trade their time for it and that's uh that's kind of the goal that's what we're hoping to do awesome i love it man great well, uh, we'll toss it down to Seb to wrap us up. Uh, final thoughts, recommendations, all yours. Yeah, I'd just say when it comes to recommendations, Scott, you stole my second one, which was, uh, well, uh, Ben, you stole my second one, which was Scott. Block Rewards is awesome. And I've only just got to know Scott in the last, I'd say, three or four months. And it's been such a pleasure. Yeah, super, super cool company, Block Rewards. So if I was to change, I would change it to one were two videos, one that I mentioned during the talk, which was the Caitlin Long What Bitcoin Did podcast. If you're if you're kind of new to Bitcoin, it's probably a little over your head. It talks a lot more about the politics of Bitcoin. But if you're down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, it is a phenomenal talk and just kind of a few insights that really blew me away. And then uh, next up as well, and this isn't even a Bitcoin resource, it is Max DeMarco, which is another uh, Bitcoiner in the space, creates phenomenal Bitcoin videos. He just released something, I think it was like two days ago on seed oils. So if you are not familiar with seed oils, if seed oils are in your diet, then you got to get those seed oils out of your diet. Go watch Max DeMarco's video on seed oils. Just you can find him on, uh, on Twitter. But yeah, and uh, I really appreciate everyone on the, on the call. And it was great to chat to all. Great to chat to you, John, and uh, great to meet you because I don't think we've met before. But outside Likewise. of that, again, Ben, it was awesome. And I appreciate you having me on. Well, awesome. Yeah, thanks for being here. And thanks all of you for uh carving out the time on a Friday evening to join me. I really do appreciate it. And again, obviously everybody in the chat, thank you for being here. Um, I encourage you to follow all of these gentlemen. Their Twitter handles are down below. And from there, you'll be able to find everything else that uh, that they are partaking in. And um, yeah, gentlemen, thank you for being here. And of course, you're all welcome back anytime. So have a great weekend. Thanks See guys. you tomorrow. I loved it. See you guys. <laughs> all right. I'll see you guys later. Awesome. And everybody, thank you so much for watching. Of course, uh, again, go follow all these guys, see what they're up to. Um, before we round out, of course, uh, please do like subscribe, share all those things help a ton little like button below the screen, tap that share this on whatever socials that you're on, uh, to ever, whoever you think may get a kick out of the conversation here. And of course, help me on my quest to a hundred thousand YouTube subscribers. Um, I, it's, you know, it's, it's tough out here as an educator. Uh, people love hearing about how rich they're going to be, but they're a little less receptive 
when you tell them to take personal responsibility. So uh, if you can help me, uh, you know, get more people taking personal responsibility, give a sub and share it out wherever you can. That is much appreciated. Other things that you can do to help out the show, of course, you can hit up the previously mentioned sponsors down below. Those were uh, Hoddle Hoddle, Coin Kite, Seed or Nunchuck, Start 9. They're all in the show notes. And of course, if you really liked what you saw, if you've been watching tutorials, but you need a little bit of additional assistance, there's a QR code on the screen right now that will lead you directly to being able to book me for one-on-one sessions. So if you need additional handholding, you're trying to figure out you know, hot wallets, hardware, multi-sig, lightning, setting up a node, any and all of the above, privacy, liquid. Uh, that's a new one that a lot of people are starting to ask about. So if you're trying to figure out, figure out just about anything, you can reach out to me. You can scan that QR code on the screen, book me for a session. Um, you can also, if you're listening to this on the pod afterwards, uh, audio only, it's just btcsessions.ca. Anyways, with that... Uh, I am out. Have yourselves a wonderful day or evening, wherever you may be. I'll see you guys next time for your daily session. Huddle the Bitcoin.